Okay, introducing our newest sponsor, Swim Tracks. Swim Tracks is the smartest swim specific tracker ever. It registers a ton of swim data that is translated into valuable real time insights. It tracks the three most important data points for coaches and swimmers time, heart rate, and stroke rate. You and your swimmers can now, from just one device, make sure you're training in the correct energy zones with the correct number of strokes. Visit swimtracks.com and schedule your free demo today. That's swimtracks, T R A X X.com, swimtracks.com. Ryan Moss, man, as you chug a Red Bull 3.30 in the morning in Hawaii. How's it going, buddy? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, Brett. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's been uh, it's been really cool to get to know you. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working at Any Question full-time now and brought you on as, a, as an expert in photography. And I've been uh, – the whole team has been loving your answers, man, in terms of just uh, the way that you share your knowledge and your experiences. I think it's very unique and uh, it's been really impressive to get to know you. Well, thank you. I think um... – you know, just to touch on any questions, um, I really like the platform. It uh, it's it allows the um, experts per se to like have a conversation and mm -hmm. um, be a little bit more personal. There's a lot of other you know platforms out there. I'm not going to name them, but <clears throat> um, I have been a part of those. Like not answering, but just like kind of as a viewer, and mm -hmm. um, you know, you kind of walk away with the very like tip of the iceberg like as right. basic as it gets and i just feel like you don't really learn too much and um right. you know a lot of being a um expert and you know having longevity in this career especially photography or like filmmaking is um the relationships you make and that personal mm -hmm. side doesn't really always translate um when you're you know talking f-stops and shutter speeds and all that kind of stuff so um, yeah. i really do like the platform i've checked out you know yours and other people's and you know it's really really cool so oh, uh, out there, yeah. check it out yeah get on any question i love it because um like it just seems like there's an endless list of questions that can come in and and i think sometimes i'll, I'll answer a question and i'll give a certain type of uh, experience to it and then a similar question will come in and i'll remember something completely different to, based on an experience and i'll and i'll relate it to that so it gives me a chance to kind of explore all of my experiences i don't think it's just one piece of knowledge to say this is the answer right there's always like many different layers to things sometimes i'm i'm sure in photography when they're asking a very specific question there might be just one direct answer but um but i like that exploration of it and i think that's that's what you're doing in photography is you're exploring and you're growing um i mean i know you as kind of a, a surfing photographer because of the work that you've done in the, in the water and the ocean but you, you're way beyond that, aren't you? Um, yeah, so I kind of, I was strictly surf when I first came in, and I cannot thank the surf industry enough, and Chris Drumming and um, uh, Heath Walker for you mm -hmm. know, giving me the opportunities they did. But somewhere around um, 2013, 2014, I kind of just peaked in that field, and um, I was a cinematographer, filmmaker, when I first mm -hmm. started and photography kind of just, you know, was an extension of that. So I could have a hobby and not, um, you know, just kind of 
sharpen my skills because I was getting burnt out. But um, yeah, around 2014, I met this photographer, Lucas Gilman, and he kind of took me under his wing in the outdoor world. And um, at that point in my life, I was kind of transitioning from the ocean to having a lot more um, hobbies, if you will, outside of it. And that's kind of how like it took off. And um, yeah, I just it's been a like, crazy like I think almost 15 years now that I've been doing this and um, yeah, I can't think of any other way I'd rather live my life. Yeah. It, it does seem like a very freeing way. How, how do you, how do you capture landscape? Like when, when I'm outside, I don't know what to shoot. I don't know what to look at. <laughs> you know, I'll just take a photo and, and hope that it turns out okay. But like in terms of photography, when you're, when you've got such a big landscape like that, what are you what are you aiming at what are you looking for um so that's where you know the personal side of things comes along and hopefully people enjoy your taste um a lot of the places i shoot or landscape wise um or anything in general it's really just been my friends going out and doing stuff and looking at it from a photographer's perspective um you kind of just train your brain to find like you know like um i have no idea what it's like swimming in a pool but i'm sure you know at a competitive level um mm. but i'm sure there's a recipe like if you were to coach someone you'd mm. like okay you know cup your hands and you know move your arms this way and you want to have this flow mm -hmm. and so it's kind of just the same thing with photography over the time like you know if you're like okay for this slow shutter speed works really well for this you know i want a high shutter speed um mm. or you want to try something different or this time of day like this place looks great um i think i've shared it on the app too a lot of times, like, I'll just go out for a hike or for a climb or for a jaunt in the mountains or, you know, whatever. And um, I'll just be up there and, you know, it takes all day normally when I commit to something like that. And um, normally it's to clear my head. And so I'll just have mental notes as I go along, like, oh, this looks really cool. I wonder what the, you know, someone do at this time. And a lot of it's, you know, trial and error. Yeah. And just getting it done at least for me there's some people who have apps that i know that are friends of mine and they're just like full tech whizzes mm. um but i've learned over time a lot of like the theoretical you know you can talk to someone and they'll tell you every camera spec there is and you know how the sensor is and everything like this is why this camera brand's better than you know this one and i've been on beta shoots for cameras when they come out they have to do this like little mm. testimonial like the commercials you used to see um, and a lot of the times like those cameras don't work the way they're supposed to. <laughs> and so you kind of just learn that, you know, there's no better way than just being out in the field and kind of, you know, going through the, um, ebbs and flows of everything. And yeah. you, I think it's really necessary in order to really, you know, hone in your craft. Yeah. Well, you cut your teeth in the, in the surfing world. That's where you learned your craft. I mean, you grew up in California. How'd you end up in Hawaii? Um, so my parents, when I was growing up, they, they never had, you know, nice cars or houses or whatever. It was kind of just like whatever to get us to and from, you know, work in the beach and stuff. And, um, they always talked about retiring in Hawaii and, um, they took us there, my brother and I, um, twice a year, like once mm -hmm. to Oahu, once to Maui. And so we spent our summers in Maui and we spent like, you know, Christmas time around, um, Oahu mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed bodyboarding. And to me, um, you know, just pipeline was everything. And so I convinced my parents I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be a marine biologist. They're like, you have to go to college somewhere. So I'm like, 
I really wanted to go to physics or for physics um, to San Diego State. Mm. And uh, I didn't get in there. So my backup plan was to go to, you know, Hawaii to become this marine biologist slash dolphin trainer. And really mm. it was just to, you know, go bodyboard type. But <laughs> I mean, that was like, you know, the long version. The short version is I ended up spending like six months um, out of my year on Oahu anyway when I was like deep in the surf industry. And so, um, you know, it just eventually became home. It was just kind of like, yeah, it just, it felt like home at that time. Um, and so I eventually just made the move. Did you always carry a camera with you when you're in the ocean at, at that point? Or when, how did it start to kind of transfer into taking photographs of surfers? Um, yeah. So I was kind of just playing around. I had a class in high school and, it um it kind of that was kind of like the gateway drug if you will that and yeah. watching surf movies and kind of figuring out how the whole entire thing works and then um yeah it just it just kind of happened you know like when I made the move finally I was like you know always carrying a camera with me um yeah it's just it was just like one of those things where one day something happened I don't want to go like too much into it because I probably share the story way too much but. Yeah, this, I was on a trajectory to one career path and something happened along my career path. And um, it just was, it was that moment that I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to mm. tell my parents I'm going to be a surf filmmaker. And um, they thought I was crazy. <laughs> Most parents do think you're crazy when you've got a, when you've got a passion for something that doesn't for seem sure. to make a lot of sense. It's, a, it's not the usual route, you know, like, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in the ocean with a camera and like what <laughs> yeah i mean i think the generation maybe like you know your parents generation definitely mine were like definitely like the nine to five this is yeah. like the career path like you have to do this you have to be right. by this time you have to like have kids like you're gonna have health care you're gonna have health insurance or whatever yeah. um yeah like they i don't think at that point it was like the dreamer you know we're gonna have this rich and famous lifestyle like it kind of seems everyone's in right now yeah yeah now were you aligning yourself with any particular surfer at that point like i guess i would imagine as a surf photographer you want to kind of attach yourself to a couple of different um, surfers who may be able to kind of elevate your photos in any way were you were you aligning that way um that's a funny thing because i feel like that's like what everyone does now Mm. <clears throat> the surf industry has made it so and this is not like a shot at anyone in particular but it's it, it, i feel like everything's at the point where it is now because surf companies were sneaking money into servers contracts mm. so that they didn't have to pay for actual like you know footage and license it from everyone or like have an in-house filmer Mm. and send them everywhere because to them it's way too more expensive like it's better to just front load a contract for a surfer and in that they're like hey here's your budget for your filmer um but that's like current state mm. and that's like i guess why everyone you know um kind of wonders that but no um when i was doing it i was full like i had a group of friends and i kind of put santa cruz like in that time period back on the map like because there was me and one other filmer there, like we were documenting every swell. Like we were just had a, like for him, maybe they're surfers and like kind of friends, but for me, like we hung out all the time. Like we traveled together, did all this stuff. Um, and then when I was like 
progressing my career like past that point that was kind of like the setting zone like you meet the team managers you get in contact with them like oh we want to license this that um when i was really growing my career there was no one i was really like attached to i always thought brands were bigger like i never wanted the surfers money i wanted the brands money Mm. and so um i was kind of just doing my own thing um and yeah that was like how i really took off like i just kind of kept doing my own thing and I was always friends with surfers, but there was not one like surfer I had to be like, Oh, I have to work with this guy or like this guy's going to like, you know, take my career to that next level. It was kind of, so what like, were you doing then? Were you, were you out in the ocean taking photos? You'd come back, you'd feel like you had some good shots and then you were taking them to magazines. Is that what you were doing? Um, so like back in that time, I'm not, yeah, it's really weird to talk about this because it seems like it was forever ago, but it wasn't. Um, Back in that time, you could just, you know, you could shoot and you could talk to an editor and you'd be like, hey, like, you know, the, I made my name through Surfline, essentially. Right. And that was when they were first coming up. And, you know, you're having this transition period from, you know, print to digital. Mm-hmm. And so um, every time there was a swell uh, in Santa Cruz, I kind of knew like they were doing swell features and like they did a lot of swell stories, which is completely 180 from what their model is now. Mm. They spent a lot of like money through like you know um, grassroots editorial, I guess, um, mm. to attract users and viewers. And so, I would basically go shoot, you know, for four days straight as like a so I have, like first email like the editor, and I'd be like, "Hey, there's a you know great swell coming. This looks pretty good. The winds look great. Um, you know, some pros are in town. We kind of like I've been talk- contact with them. Like you know." Um, we think we're about X, Y, and Z are going to be really good. What do you think? And they either give me the green light, like, hey, we're on schedule for, you know, this amount of money for X return in assets. And mm. so did that. And it, I kind of just became known for um, quick turnaround at mm. that time and being able to swim because, you know, there was DV tapes and all other sorts of things going on back then. It wasn't just like, Hey, you have a memory card and you can just plug it into a camera, shoot. And, you know, um, and, uh, have instant gratification or right. even an iPhone or a GoPro really at that time. I don't think GoPros were a thing. Yeah. GoPros definitely weren't a thing. Mm-hmm. So like you had, like, I was a very niche, um, uh, I guess at person because I could swim and, you know, digitize everything and, you know, didn't have a hundred thousand dollar camera, but made it look good. And so, um, through Surfline, my name got out there. And then, you know, Chris Drumming, he's Walker, saw me. And then that's kind of like how it snowballed from there. I mean, you say hundred thousand dollars. Are they really hundred thousand dollar cameras? Is that how much they cost some of these? I mean, I, back in the day, it seemed like, you know, the HVX was 20 grand. The, um, Damn. Yeah, pretty much like the entry level to anything in cinema world, like back then, like seemed just so unattainable because it was so much harder, I feel like, to make money. Mm. Um, so maybe it wasn't 20 grand, but like the HVX is like the equivalent of the red right now. Like that was the camera you wanted to have. Like the Panasonic HVX shot slow mo. I remember like it was the first time I saw like 60 frames like slowed down like all smoothly. And I was like, oh my God, the camera is so sick. I need that for like the water. And I looked at the price tag, I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to afford that. I'm like, <laughs> you know, living pretty much out of my car at that point with like what I had. Has that all come down now? Is that, is that all like really affordable in terms of the, the variety of quality? Um, yeah. So everyone thinks like, you know, you have to have a red, like 
so to transition to the whole entire surf industry straight of working inside and insider information yeah. like you know it was okay to have like a canon 70 which is like a two thousand dollar camera like you know or 1500 buck camera back at the time like that was the cool thing and then reds came out and for whatever reason like every company was so high on them they're great cameras i own one um but everyone's like you have to have it in order to get these jobs and you know they didn't want to pay you what you were worth or like you know rent the camera because it's if they rent it out to them per day it's like way out of their budget but um yeah so everyone has a stigma you have to have a red you have to have re you have to have these like you know fifty thousand dollar production cameras but cameras are so good these days there's like i look at i like cringe almost every time now that i like look at the price tag for what i spent on a red because you can get crazy good cameras for like five grand you know yeah um two grand ten grand if you really want to like splurge in that end like even like that new highest end red i think is like half the price what my high-end red is which just is wild to think about um, what's a red a red is just a uh, company that makes I would say personally the best action sports cameras, like mm. best cameras that are high end that, you know, are accepted for um, TV cinema. It's like a mm. digital cinema. It's like what, I guess, you know, excuse me, um, cinema would have been back in the day. But And you can flip between kind of uh, video and, and camera mode fairly quickly? Uh, no. So, I mean, I guess you can, but yeah, if I'm shoot, like every job, like that's what really just, it's crazy to think about like how people think these days, like everyone's like, Oh, you have to have both. And I really right. think like for a while. So after red, it was like, everyone's like, Oh, you can pull still images off this camera. Like you can shoot motion and get stills. So we can just cut down the workload. Like we don't have to pay a, for a photographer and a filmmaker. Cause we'll just have the film guy, you know, do both and pull the stills. But what they don't tell you is like, you know, if you're shooting for a motion for a commercial for TV, like there's certain rules, like the, you know, 180 shutter rule, for example. Mm. So when you like take your hand in front of your face, right? And sorry, my yeah. hands are kind of messed up. I just came from a climbing trip. Um, mm. And you wave it in front of your face, you see ghosting. Like you'll see yeah. ghosting if you like look at your hand. And um, it's just a, that motion blur, I guess, is what you call it. Yeah. But in order to take like um, an action still image, you have to crank up the shutter so high to freeze the action. Mm. Now, if you do that with motion, you get this weird, um, digitized, techy, really ugly look. So, um, yeah, I guess that's like the short, like where the industry yeah. is right now. Like everyone's trying to like you know cross over and take stills from that, but it just doesn't work. Right. And right. so, uh, to answer your question, yes, I think I, there is a setting where you can just switch in between stills and video, but normally like these. Um, these larger productions I work on, which justifies owning this camera, um, you're just there to shoot motion. Like, no one's asking yeah. me to do both. Like, they have a separate person to shoot that. Um, oh, okay. I do have a still camera that I can flip in between both, but that's like more for like personal, like home movie right. or like, um, you know, whatever type of stuff. We individualize training in the pool. So, why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body.
athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available, so go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only Alpha Pool Product Scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Right. Well, we are, uh, well, I'm generally known as a, as a swimming podcast. So you're out in the ocean, you're out in pipeline. How much, how much of a good swimmer do you have to be? And then, and do you do any swimming training? Um, yeah, I kind of, it's funny. I asked you this, um, question, like, you know, like, what is it? I think I asked you this already, but I'm like, yeah. uh, how much does, you know, ocean swimming translate to the pool? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I never, so I've never up, like I'm obviously getting older now. And so um, I should do more training in that sense. But generally I've just like let my body adapts pretty quickly, um, yeah. even with all the injuries I've had. And so I've generally just like let myself go out on the first like big swell and get my butt kicked. And normally like my body was adapt like, okay, it's winter time, like, you know, ready to go. <laughs> um, so in that sense, I'm probably um, – the atypical person like i know there's guys who train like crazy like if you look at nathan florence and all those guys they're constantly training to mm. elevate their level um and that's just kind of like the part of the career as far as like a good swimmer in the pool i i really don't know i've never tested myself in that yeah. um, sense i think it's a lot of it for me is in anything i do it's like how do i feel how confident am i in myself and um what um yeah, it's like a lot of confidence and feel. So if I'm yeah. feeling it, like I, as soon as I know in my head I can do it, there's no doubt in my mind I can do it and there's nothing that's going to stop me. And then on the contrary, which I guess is kind of crazy to live up or like leave up to chance or gamble with, I guess. Like if I don't feel I can do it, I'll like be the first to back off and like come up with some other plan. Yeah. But yeah, the bread and butter of my career has been in the ocean, in the water swimming. Um, I would say for pipe, like, you have to be a really good sprinter. Like you mm. have to like just to get out there because on the big days, like the big challenge for like most people is like timing it. So where you take off from the beach yeah. to like the channel that depending on what the swell direction is doing, like if it's big and West, your, um, your channel is massive because the wave dies out and then it, the current will just rip you down to Rocky point, which is, you know, like 10 football fields lengths away. Mm. and you know you have this like big window to get through kind of whereas as if it's more north you like that whole entire window to like punch through the impact zone becomes like maybe like a house wide if mm. that wow. and so you have to like really like get through there otherwise like the next wave over gums will pound you and um i've had a couple like pretty good beat downs on bigger days when i swim out there and uh just got pinned to the bottom on like a sand reef 
type thing just by you know not like not timing it right and half-assed duck diving and then the worst thing is you know well the best worst thing is like you do the walk of shame we call it and that's if you don't make it out at all you have to swim back in and then walk <laughs> back to the takeoff point and do it again um, <laughs> and fortunately i haven't had to do that yet <laughs> yeah that's embarrassing um what about this in terms of the, the surface like you, you've obviously got this zone where you're trying to get the best shot you're trying to get as close as you can but you're trying to give them the respect they deserve and give them the space to to do what they need to how do you find that balance between that um at piper just in yeah in I, I mean at pipe that that's probably the the place where yeah you know. so normally there's um in the past, it's gone crazy now. Um, in the past, when I was first starting, there was a pecking order, and there still kind of is, you know. Um, <clears throat> so, as photographers, it's your job to get the shot, but also not interfere with the surfer and cause mm. more, like, plus you don't really want to be there anyway. Like, no one wants their, like, head gashed in with a surfboard fin or mm. nose of a board. Um, so, you know, we'll just assume, like, we're, five eight years back so there's a pecking order and so when i was first coming up it was like scott eichner um brian billman like the people ahead of you who've put more time in there pat stacy like all these legendary photographers like they would be in front of you and then you kind of be in the back you have like less priority so now it'd be like you know brent billman uh zach noyle um whoever and you kind of just find your place within that pecking order mm. and um and, you know, you make a row or like, you know, when Zach and I would be working out there together and like, we'd have like, he was working for Rook and I was working for Reef. Like we just, you know, had this unspoken deal. Like, Hey, if your guy's going, I'll, if I'm in front of you, I'll duck to make sure I'm out of your shot and like, mm -hmm. you know, vice versa. And you kind of just coordinate that with like whoever is out there really. Right. And then, you know, nowadays there's like a thousand guys, um, who are shooting for social media and nothing against that whatsoever, but they're in the channel all with the same lens, getting the exact same shot, clogging mm. up that for with the surfers and the servers. Like it's gotten to this point where it's kind of like just getting too much. Yeah. It's like a free for all out there. And um, it, it, that's when it gets dangerous. Cause there's no way like on the bigger days, like anyone can kick out or um, anyone can like really get out of the way. Right, right. And then even same with the surfers. Like, there's a lot of times now where there's guys who should not be out there and they just sit on the shoulder. And I get it. I was, you know, probably there at one point in my life too, but I wasn't taking off on waves on the shoulder. I was like trying to go to the peak, you know, and they're taking off on the shoulder and you have to now like watch out for them as well. Yeah. And, and what about this, uh, this time I read, I read online where you had a pretty severe accident. Were you on a, uh, on a jet ski at the time? Yeah, so I, I'm guessing we're talking about the incident last year. Last um, year, yeah. Yeah, it, it's been a year. Wow. Um, yeah, I was on a jet ski uh, at a place that um, I normally wouldn't be at. Like, I wouldn't stay on Oahu to shoot a big swell, generally speaking. Um, I'd normally go to Jaws, but... <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I talked to Mark Healy that night before, and he kind of convinced me that, you know, this wave over here was going to be really special. And um, I said it'd stay because I did the wooden maps and it looked really bad on Maui. And, um, yeah, through a long course of events, um, I ended up on a particular jet ski. And, um, yeah, I yeah, I was on the ski that day when I broke my back. Wow. And were you... 
Were you on the jet ski alone or was someone um, riding uh, and driving? Yeah, my good friend or good friend, like I was always speaking with in the surf world, uh, Cam Richards uh, was driving that day. And um, yeah. yeah, just it misjudged just, it and just got hit by a wave. Uh, it's just like the perfect storm. Like we kind of talked before about what to do if, you know, we're like too far inside and the set's coming. And um, I just rolled up my camera bag, went and put all my like, gear in there to like just strap it onto my back so I could have my hands free to hold on to stuff. Mm. And um, I said, go. And as far as like big wave experience between the two of us, like being on skis and being on days like that, I had way more. Yeah. Like being in that situation, I meant to say go in, like turn around and go in because that was the safest place. Like the channel closes out. And so right. you're better off trying to outrun the wave and the thing can, right. you know, as long as everything goes right. Um, and you go in and then, you know, come back out because it's all deep water and the wave will die out eventually. Um, and yeah, the in part just didn't come out of my mouth. And yeah, it just, it was one of those things where, you know, if you have a lot of experience driving in big waves, you like you kind of know to cut the engine before you go over the lip. So you don't, right. you know, motocross ramp off of it. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't, you know, it was just a perfect storm of just bad, bad events that happened. And then you had to get airlifted, didn't you? <clears throat> um, so that wave came, I felt the thing tingling you know, couldn't move my legs and, uh, and then there was a way behind it. And so I think I've said this to a few people and whatnot, like not many people know this part of the story where like there was another 40 foot wave coming and, um, I had to swim through it. Like I just was so like, it was like the most life and death, like fight or flight natural instinct I've ever like had to experience in my life. I thought like I was dead for sure. I couldn't move my legs. And like, if I get sucked over, like, you know, this thing breaks on top of me. I'm dead. I'm gonna drown. Like there's yeah. no way. I'm gonna like this life vest that's outdated is gonna float me back to the surface. And my heart was racing, and so I just used my arms to swim as fast as I could. And I thought I actually covered more ground, but watching the drone video it was like merely like it was like probably like 20 feet, 30 feet mm. that I had to like cover in order to make it through. But basically, I like punched through barely, and I felt the wave sucking me back. And um, luckily, it let me go. And I was just relieved and I, you know, waved my arms and uh, this surf photographer, Daniel Russo, came on his jet ski, picked me up. And then um, Brian Phillips, the lifeguard who was kind of just out there out of the goodness of his heart was running rescue and um, took me in all the way. And then they, um, as I was getting dragged up to the beach and stretchered into the uh, ambulance to Wahiwa, my wife with her parents and her brother-in-law and her sister who I was just meeting for the first time um, actually saw me get wow. in, like put into the ambulance, but they weren't quite sure. Like they were like, pretty sure, but they're like, nah, it can't be Ryan. Like he said, he's fine. Like whatever. We haven't heard from him. Like, you know, it's all good. And then I called them eventually like hours later. I'm like, Oh, we saw you. Like we thought it was you. Like we knew it was you. Um, but yeah, wow. no, I didn't get airlifted. Think, I mean, maybe it would be better. Maybe it would be worse. That car ride to Wahoo was pretty brutal. Felt like daggers were in my back. Damn, that's uh, that's crazy. I guess uh, that's the risk you take to to get the shot sometimes. But man, uh, seems seems like a heavy price to pay. But yeah, wow. it definitely was. Wow. Well, that's cool, man. Well, what do you have coming up? Anything anything on the horizon for you? Um. Yeah. I just uh, 
funny how this whole entire thing works. Like you're, it's so crazy being a photographer or a filmmaker. Like, you know, you have, you're like, damn, am I even relevant? Like, am I still good at my job? And then the next thing you know, like <laughs> you're just like getting completely same with work. So I have um, a couple of projects actually now that are coming up this current week. I've gotten extremely busy with work. And then I also have next week, I'm going back to you or I'm going back to California um, to spend Thanksgiving with my wife's family in Yosemite um, place. I love going. So it wasn't really hard to convince me to go there. Um, but yeah, this like upcoming week, I have kind of two like, okay, projects that um, I'm working on that I have to actually get up and start storyboarding after I get off this call. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I have like two things coming up um, that wise, and I'm sure there will be more that pops up before the end of the year. But it's a, both, you know, revolves around surf. So, um, and there's swell in the way. So it kind of worked out perfectly. Well, cool, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you getting up at 3.30 in the morning to talk to us from, from Hawaii and uh, get, get some work done. But uh, nice to share your story too, man. And you're doing brilliant work. I love it. Uh, anyone that wants to follow you, they can find you where? Instagram? What's your Instagram? Uh, it's Ryan, mm -hmm. period, M-O-S-S. -S. So Ryan.Moss. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some pretty cool stuff there. And um, do you have a web page as well? Uh, yeah. It's a little bit harder, but Ryan... Uh, the letter C, as in Christopher, my middle name, uh, Moss. So okay. RyanCMoss.com. Okay. And uh, we'll put this in the uh, in the show notes as well so people can find you there as well. But uh, appreciate you doing this, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Brett. Thanks All for right, having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.